Hello, and welcome to Love in the Time of Everyone, where we hear stories about the way relationships have changed over time. I'm your host, Emily Diekman. Today, we're talking about a pretty unconventional coming out story, and our storyteller is named Ken Feltz. Ken was born in Dodge City, Kansas in 1930, and grew up in a family of fundamentalist Christians. There was no music in the church, and they went to Mass on Sunday mornings, Sunday evenings, and Tuesday evenings. Ken's family moved around a lot because his dad worked for the railroad. Anyway, when Ken was 12 years old, they were living in New Mexico, and he went to his friend's house for a sleepover. We were in Belen, New Mexico, which is a very small Mexican community uh, with adobe houses, and he lived in one of those adobe houses, and they have no central heat, so heat is provided by a stove in the center of the middle room, and doors are open to warm up the bedrooms at night. So we went to bed as usual. We got in on our each side of the bed. And uh, as the night wore on, of course, it cooled down. And pretty soon it was cold enough that we were snuggling with each other. And that's when I discovered the pleasures of a gay uh, lifestyle. So like most 12-year-olds, Ken's feeling weird and confused about his body and what it wants and like, you know, what's going on? But he has this added pressure of feeling absolutely sure that he's not supposed to be doing this. That uh, relationship with this young man, the first thing I knew afterwards was that it was wrong and it was sinful and that my background and religious uh, upbringing both told me that what I was doing was wrong. Uh, but it was so pleasurable I wasn't about to stop. So my decision was to hide uh, the fact that I had uh, these gay tendencies. And I kept that hidden the rest of my life. So they kind of carry on, but like I said, Ken's family moved a lot, so eventually they moved again, and Ken and this kid lost touch. And Ken wasn't about to announce this to his religious family. This is the 1940s, after all. Homosexuality was considered a full-on psychiatric disorder in the DSM until 1973. I often wondered about uh, my parents, because... In high school, I never dated. I never went out to any of the dances. I never did anything that would indicate that I had a, a interest in uh, the opposite sex. Uh, the only prom I went to was the senior prom, and uh, Mary Jane, which was uh, a, a friend of mine in the classes, asked me to go. So I did, because it was expected. Ah, uh, poor Mary Jane. Ken actually saw Mary Jane again at their 40-year high school reunion, and she got him up on stage in front of everyone to say that she wanted the kiss he owed her, since he hadn't kissed her on prom night all those decades ago. Anyway, after high school, he joined the Navy for a few years, making sure to check no on the box that asked if he was a homosexual or had any homosexual tendencies. After the Navy, he moved to California, and the straight life, as he called it, continued. In 1957, he started working as an insurance investigator. It just was my daily routine. When I got up in the morning, I knew I was going to be straight. All my decisions up to that point were almost subconsciously made because uh, I knew that I had to, to maintain that uh, gay facade. Even picking out clothes when I get up in the morning, make sure there was nothing bright uh, or something that might indicate I was anything other than a very conservative individual. So Ken is pretty surprised when one of his co-workers from the insurance firm, this guy Philip, comes up to him one day and just sort of seems to know. He came to my desk and uh, asked to help me fill out the report for him since I was new, and we started 
uh, having coffee. Well, that turned into dates after a while, and he figured out I was gay, and I was really struggling against it, but it didn't work. I fell for him head over heels. Every love story is unique, of course. But if you've ever been head over heels in love with someone, you know the feeling. How everything just seems more vivid. Like, colors are brighter, music sounds better, and you walk around all day feeling like you have the most delicious secret. And in Ken's case, it actually was a secret. Some of Ken's fondest memories with Philip were weekends spent alone together. There was this one particular camping trip when countless orange poppies were in bloom, the California super bloom, and they walked hand in hand through the blossoms. They would sing along loudly to Elvis songs in the car. They were together constantly for about two years. But, as the old saying sadly goes, all good things must come to an end. It, it ended when uh, we went to church one morning and we had had a rather intimate encounter the night before and he sang in the choir. So we're sitting in the pew, I'm sitting in the pew, he's singing in the choir. And I'm suddenly bombarded with guilt uh, while he's singing to God. I am being bombarded by God about our behavior of the night before. And it really wore on me to the point where a month later, I could no longer live with a uh, division and I had to depart to leave Philip. And uh, I never saw him again. This was 1958, and you can hear the devastation in Ken's voice even now. So why leave? Well, you probably know this, but aside from the religion issue, the 1950s were not a great time to be gay. Here's a quick history lesson. Sodomy, also known as sex perversion, was outlawed in California back when California was annexed, and could be punished by up to 14 years in prison. Something interesting I just learned is that though most of us understand the word sodomy to refer to homosexual intercourse, sodomy laws often don't clearly define the word sodomy, which can technically include everything from oral sex to bestiality. But despite this lack of specificity in the laws, sodomy laws are usually designed to target same-sex couples. But anyway, in 1952, Earl Warren, who was governor of California at the time, but went on to become the chief justice of the U.S. Supreme Court shortly after, signed a law which eliminated the maximum penalty for sodomy. Horrifyingly, some outed homosexuals even received lobotomies. If you're ever in the mood for some fun, light reading, look into Walter Freeman and his ice pick lobotomies. On a much lighter note, though, you know that old saying from Gunsmoke, get the hell out of Dodge? When he left Philip, Ken returned to his hometown, Dodge City, Kansas, literally getting the hell into Dodge. There, he started working at a camera store. My little store was located next door to a restaurant, and I usually had breakfast and lunch in that restaurant before I opened the store or during while I was in the store. And the waitress in there was really chasing me down, and uh, she got me to her house once, and we had sex. To me, it was like a ho-hum experience because it was my first time with a female, and uh, it went on for a short time, maybe several weeks or maybe into a couple of months, but... It ended when uh, we were so uh, engaged and I looked at my watch and she was very insulted that I had looked at my watch like I was not interested in anything else, just waiting till it was over. True, but um, she never called me again. So that ended that affair. And there was no affair again until I got married. Ken got a few letters from Philip in this time, but he didn't write back. In Philip's last letter, he said if Ken didn't write back this time, he'd stop trying to contact him. 
And that was the last that Ken heard from Philip. From then on, I was living the straight life. I went from there on to uh, uh, Colorado Springs, where I married a woman in the Catholic, in the uh, Methodist Church uh, in 1963. In 1972, we had a daughter. In 1980, we got divorced. Ken obviously doesn't have a lot to say about his marriage, though he does joke that while it wasn't quite sexless, it wasn't far from it. After the divorce in the 1980s, he decided to start trying to track down Philip. He hadn't forgotten about him after all those years, but you couldn't find any information on him. Besides, Ken wasn't sure what he would do if he did find Philip. The courts were already involved in his custody of his daughter Rebecca because of the divorce, and he worried that coming out as gay might jeopardize their relationship. He loved raising her. She grew up, went to college, and graduated. Ken was so proud. One day, Rebecca asked Ken to come down for the weekend to visit, which wasn't uncommon. They sat down at a restaurant to get dinner, and she said, Dad, I'm a lesbian. This was about 1995, and I was shocked. I was unprepared totally because having watched her grow up, I knew that she had always dated boys, uh, had uh, gone to the prom with boys. Uh, I had never seen her exhibit any tendency towards being a lesbian. Uh, but that's what she told me, and I uh, was in a very complex situation then. I was a gay person looking at my daughter, and I was a father looking at my daughter. That voice in Ken's own head that had told him to fight against who he was for all these years came to the surface and basically won out. He told his daughter that she couldn't be gay. It was wrong. There were religious principles against it. He told her it was a phase that wouldn't last more than six months. His daughter basically said, okay, so are you going to disown me then? And then the loving father side took over, and he said, of course I'm not. As weird as it felt to him, he still loved her, and he was going to be there to support her. I, I was really conflicted there, sitting before my daughter, because my gay side wanted to come out, but I couldn't do it. And so I remained straight to her while she was gay. Later, when Ken had a little bit more time to think about it, he reflected on how things were different for Rebecca. The fact that she could come out at all, that she felt comfortable doing so, was really exciting. I couldn't find any public opinion polls from the 1940s or 50s that asked Americans about their views on homosexuality. I assume, and I could totally be wrong, but I assume, that this is because the opinion that homosexuality was wrong was so widespread that it wasn't all that interesting or worthwhile to poll people about it. All the answers would have just been the same. 1973 was the first year that the National Opinion Research Center at the University of Chicago first asked people about sexual relations between two adults of the same age. 73% described these relationships as, quote, always wrong. By 2020, this is pretty much flipped. A Pew Research Center study found that 72% of Americans said homosexuality should be accepted by society. But back to the story. In 1999, Rebecca got married, and Ken gave away the bride. Rebecca and her wife have two kids, making Ken a proud grandfather. But still, Ken didn't see much point in coming out himself. He figured he'd made it this far, you know. Now, skip ahead a couple decades to the year 2020. COVID-19 restrictions had shut down much of the world, and nothing felt normal. Ken especially, he's 90 years old, he'd just recovered from a bout with cancer, and now he's stuck at home, just like everybody else. He decided to start working on his memoirs. I got to the point in my memoirs where I had to write about my relationship with Philip. 
the one person I have ever really loved and looked for him all my life, but never found him until uh, later. Anyway, when I got to that point, I was uh, pretty sad here at home. And my daughter asked me one day, uh, she said, Dad, how come you're so sad? And I just blurted out, because I wish I'd never left Philip. And her question immediately was, who is Philip? Uh, what do you mean? So I had to let her know. I had, I had come out to her now, unexpectedly, unintendedly. I, I really planned to take it to the grave with me since I was getting old and uh, I was going to die anyway. Why die? Not, why not die straight since I've been that way most of my life? But coming out to Rebecca and then Rebecca's family goes really well. I was surprised at the response. Both my daughter and daughter's wife were extremely supportive. And even my grandkids, my little granddaughter says, uh, when her mother told her, she says, I often thought I saw some gayness in him. Very perceptive for a 13-year-old. Because it had felt so good to come out to his family members, Ken decided to share the news with some others. He did it the way a lot of us share our life updates these days. So uh, I decided that I would tell my friends, and I wrote up uh, information about my coming out to my friends, and I put it on my uh, Facebook page. I was unaware at the time that I was also posting it on the public page. So it went out all over the world, basically, instead of just to my few friends. Uh, and I started getting responses immediately. Yep, it was quite a time. I love this part of the story because it really highlights how different not only society, but technology is. Even if there'd been enough social progress for Ken to feel comfortable coming out several decades ago, there wouldn't have been a way for him to accidentally tell the whole world, you know? And when he said it was quite a time, he wasn't kidding. The local paper did an article about him and things kind of blew up from there. He was on Anderson Cooper, in Oprah Magazine, in the BBC London, the Today Show, NPR. This photo of him in a rainbow hoodie with headlines about a 90-year-old grandpa coming out as gay were everywhere. Because it was all over the world. It was in Japan, India, uh, even Jerusalem. Well, believe it or not, I got a copy of that newspaper and can't read a thing in it except that there's my picture right in the middle of the famous picture of me uh, with my rainbow hoodie. After one of the news pieces came out, a woman got in touch and offered to help track down Philip. They didn't have much to go off of, just his name, his approximate birth date, and the period of time when Ken knew he lived in California. And she did. She located him uh, and ended up telling me that he had died in uh, 2013, December 29, 2013. Uh, so I missed him by six or seven years. Uh, but he had had a relationship with another man for most of his life who had died a few years before him, and then he lived alone the rest of his life. But uh, she also was able to send me photographs of him before I knew him and after I left him uh, when he was in the Army and so forth. So she was able to help me rebuild some of my memories. It's still very emotional thinking and talking about him. Uh, I thought Writing it down would make it go away, but all it is is stirred it up and brought the memories back to the surface. Uh, and they're good memories. You know, I'm not unhappy with them. It's just that they, uh, they make me so emotional remembering that far back. 
So now there's a lot of new pain to go along with the guilt Ken had felt for leaving Philip all these years. What if he'd just come out six or seven years earlier? Would he have been able to find Philip then? Sometimes Ken would get lost in the what-ifs and the regrets. But it does bring him some happiness to know that Philip had been happy with someone else. But now there's also, finally, some closure. Not to mention a whole new life. Around this time, Ken also started getting messages, hundreds of them, from people all over the world who had seen his story. There were people who talked to him and then decided to come out to their own social circles. There were people asking him for advice. It was a big responsibility to go from a quote-unquote straight person to this sort of figurehead in the gay community. Uh, and all of my, uh, many of the messages that I received were, uh, with, were saying things like, you're a brave person. And I finally then wrote a entry on my Facebook page about the fact that I did not feel that I was a brave person, that the brave people were the ones who had gone before me who had dared to come out when it was uh, very painful to do so, that I had been really a coward, not a hero. Uh, and yet people continue to say that at age 90 coming out, uh, that I was a hero. So uh, it slowly became that people really did want to talk to me and that I apparently have had some influence on a number of individuals who have made a decision to come out after talking with me or have received uh, more peace uh, and calm in their life because uh, of my actions. So Ken is responding to as many of these messages as he can. And he even makes a few friends along the way from different states and countries. One here in Denver messaged me that he would like to meet me. And I had not done that before, but I thought, okay, his profile looks, looks safe. And so I said, okay. So Ken calls this guy up and they agree to meet at a restaurant on a Friday night in October. They're wearing masks because of COVID-19 and all. Uh, we ordered our food. We didn't remove our mask until the salad was served. So that was the first time we actually saw each other. Neither one of us ran out of the place screaming, so I guess it was okay. We finished up there, we talked a lot, and then it was getting noisy there. So I said, why don't we go sit in my car? So we went out in front where my car was parked, and uh, we got in, and we were talking, and he reached over and took my hand, and he held it for the rest of the talk. Well, the evening went on, and I finally said, I think it's time for me to go home. And so we were parting, and, uh, and he left the car to go to his car, but about a few Seconds later, he opened the car door again. He says, I forgot my telephone. So he found it there on the car seat. And while he was still had his head in the car, he said, shall I follow you home? Uh, that's all it took. When he said that, I said, yep. And so I brought him home. Uh, we talked the rest of that night. Uh, he went home. And then on Saturday, he came back. And we've been together since then. I let Ken tell that whole part of the story while I shut up and didn't interrupt with any narrations. Because if I told you that story, you'd think I was making it up, right? I mean, what a sweet little ending. I feel like you always hear that you're supposed to love yourself before you can love others, that self-acceptance is essential to happiness, you know? I can't imagine a scenario where it's more true than here. If Ken had decided to come out and embrace who he was at 90 years old, he would never have met his partner, John. Because that's one of the biggest outcomes of shows that I, as far as I'm concerned, is is the fact that I found somebody at age 90, I'm in a relationship with a person uh, who professes to be as deeply into me as I am into him. 
I have been as happy in the last months with John almost as much as I was with Philip. Philip will never be replaced in my memory or anything else with, with another person, but John would come close to it. Ken says people tell him he's a different person now, and he thinks he is too. It's not just the rainbow hoodie that he wouldn't have been caught dead in before coming out. And it's not just that he attends Zoom meetings for a local LGBTQ plus community group. He likes to say he has nine important words in his life now. I am gay, I am out, and I am free. It's, you know, it's given me a new purpose in these last years uh, to a, a, a cause for me to support and uh, broadcast about. So I'm, I'm very, very happy now. I have to add one other thing to the story. After our interview was over, I asked Ken a couple of logistical questions. I noticed he'd mentioned John's name, and I wanted to make sure that that would be okay to include in the podcast. He told me, yeah, it's fine to use his first name. It's just that John's not out to his mom yet. Oh, his mom's still alive. I said, that's great. How old is John, if you don't mind me asking? Ken laughed a little bit and told me I wasn't going to believe it. But John is 31 years old. He's supervising Ken's exercise regimen to keep him strong and around for a long, long time. I'm really happy for Ken, but I'm happy for John too, because Ken seems like a great catch. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Love in the Time of Everyone. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave a rating or a review. You can get in touch or see a photo of Ken in his famous rainbow hoodie on the show's Facebook and Instagram pages. A huge thank you to Ken, who is a funny and fabulous storyteller and who made time to be on this podcast even though he's already world famous. When I messaged him about a possible interview, he said, Of course, I would be happy to do whatever it takes to further the cause and promote the gay community. Thank you, as always, to Kathy Rivers, Bridget Thumb, and Gabriela Yadigari over at KXCI for all of their help. And thanks to Local Kindergartner for the theme music. You can find the killer Local Kindergartner EP, Spine, on Bandcamp. We'll close with a quote from Troy Perry, founder of the Metropolitan Community Church, a Protestant denomination that specializes in welcoming the LGBTQ community. The Lord is my shepherd, he says, and he knows I'm gay. <laughs>